Well, good evening, Calvary Chapel, Richmond, once again. I got my sweat rag, should I need it? If you just saw me over in the back, I was sweating a little bit. If we ever hit another ice age, look for the guy with a rag in his hand, because I will still be sweating then. I just wanted to welcome everybody uh, here, also online, and um, so wonderful that we can meet here in the house of the Lord to sing his praise and to pray and to hear his word. And uh, we're going to be kind of looking at that today in the book of Psalms. We're continuing our Psalm series, Psalm 122. So remember, if you wouldn't mind, please be praying for Pastor Tim and Sarah and the girls. I think they're headed tomorrow down to Georgia for a family reunion, as Pastor Tim was saying. So just pray for their travel mercies and that they're able to spend time with their family and be a witness and then safe return to us soon. So we will be looking at Psalm 122. But looking at Psalm 122, we also have to kind of look at Psalm 120 and also 121. Because Psalm 120 talks about the trials of an expatriate, and this is at a high level. Psalm 121 speaks of the hazards of travel. Psalm 120 reminds us of the need to pray, how imperative it is that we trust in the Lord, trust God, and in doing these things, we must also endure the things that come against us. And we have to do that with patience. There is a slide. Where's my clicker? Romans 5, 3 through 5, reminds us not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. That's a very famous verse, set of verses, but it makes me think about that when we think about the things that we must endure in patience. There's the sweat. We also look at James 1, verses 2 through 4. That tells us, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of our faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. In Psalm 121, we see God, our Heavenly Father. We see Him present in all things. How we see His creation all around us. How we know that His eyes are always upon us and how his presence is beside us, and how his care, his love for all of us surrounds us. And with Psalm 122, this psalm is, if you want to say, it's kind of like the climax of these two, verse, these two psalms coming together. Because it points to the things where we finally reach this destination, this final point where we reach this place of worship. You know that saying that it's not the destination, it's the journey? Well, I agree that the journey is certainly necessary, important, but think about our destination. Our destination is far greater than the journey, and how wonderful is that? And so we are going to read Psalm 122 in its entirety tonight. But before we do that, when I was reading through this text, you know how our life experiences that we go through kind of help us understand some of the verses that we read. It makes us better kind of relate to some of the words that we see that the Lord is speaking to us. It helps us appreciate really the hope that we have in the Lord. You know, what we're saved from, 
how lost and dark the world is and how much we need a Savior. But really, it points to this hope, this love, this God, that His patience and His grace truly does surpass all understanding. And really why in Psalm 122, how so important the first couple of verses are and why they make so much sense when we read them and we think about the things that we endure. But as I was reading, there were two things that really kind of struck me, um, memories that I had gone through different stages of my life. And I'd like to share a couple of them with you. The first one, well, one thing to kind of note, we all have those memories, those things that we go through that you know, we will remember for the rest of our lives. They were um, moments in our life that, were, that gave us great hope, perhaps. They were moments in our life that brought us great sorrow and um, kind of made us see things in a different light. And so these are kind of a couple of things that the Lord allowed me to see and as I was reading Psalm 122, I was really just struck with a sense of awe. So the first one, many years ago, before I gave my life to Christ, I was in the Navy. I served in the Navy for four years, from 1993 to 1997, after I graduated high school in 93. The interesting thing is I joined, I think my official... Sign-up date was July 19th of 1993. Well, it's now 2023, almost July, so almost 30 years that uh, that took place. It just, that's, that time went by really fast. But that's not what struck me when I was reading this, just a thought that I had. We were on deployment, and we were in a Middle Eastern country, I, was, I served most of my time on an aircraft carrier. And if you guys know, the aircraft carrier is far too large to pull up pierside in most countries. And so what we do is we would anchor off the coast, and then they, the country that we were visiting would bring in boats and ferries, and then the carrier has some of their own boats that we would use. But that's how we got back and forth from the ship to the land. And what they would do um, in those circumstances is kind of pier side, countryside, they would set up this little kind of area with a barrier, and that belonged to the military. And there were checkpoints, and there were this, that, and the other that you had to go through. Um, and um, in this country, this, this was set up. And so I was with a couple of buddies, and as we... we left the ship, reached the land. As we kind of stepped off the boat, there was the area that we kind of came to was this, this, not a clearing, it's kind of hard to describe, but basically it was just this open land. And in front of us, there was, it was kind of a really interesting scenario. In front of us was basically what looked like a war zone. Buildings were dilapidated, not very many people, but the people that were there were, were dressed in really, you know, dirty and, and torn garments. Um, not a lot of money. But as you kind of walked out of that area, you kind of walked over here, there was this guard shack. Guard shack had a handful of soldiers with their weapons, and they were checking. It was a checkpoint. They were checking IDs as people were passing through or leaving. And as we were walking towards that area, that's the direction we were headed, we were walking towards that area, there was this family. I wish I could describe for you all this family. The father, I don't know where the father was, but there was a mother, a grandmother, 
a couple of children in the poverty. It, I had never seen anything like this before. After this experience, I always said everybody should travel abroad because, yes, we have a homeless issue here in the States. Absolutely. I agree with that. But the poverty here is nothing, and I mean nothing compared to the poverty that you see overseas. It blew my mind. This mother was holding in one hand this kind of this bread thing. There was dust and dirt, mold growing on this bread, and I, I think she was trying to sell it to whoever would buy it. And in her other hand, she was carrying a baby. We weren't with them long, but I didn't see that baby move once. I don't know the fate of that child. And it breaks my heart to think about that. But the baby was not in good shape. This family was not in good shape. And it really broke our hearts. There were three or four of us in tears. We literally emptied our pockets, gave them what we could. But this family couldn't go to where we were going because on the other side of this guard shack was basically a city. Hotels, restaurants, cabs, normal things. But these people, if they attempted to go to the city, would be shot and killed. I don't know the reason why. We asked some of the people that we kind of ran into. But when we asked, the people that lived in the city said, oh, those people, oh, they're, they're, they're dogs, they're, they're nothing. They weren't dogs, they were people. Later, and it didn't, it didn't have the significance then that it does now, but later, one of the guys I was with said that he had talked to somebody, one of the cab drivers, and he said, oh, those people? They're probably Christians. So just a picture, if that's true, and I, you know, I pray it's true, because I would love to see them in heaven and hear their testimony, hear their story. But I don't know. I don't know. But that experience was, um, was something else. I remember that. I mean, I can picture them like, like it happened yesterday. The second memory that the Lord kind of brought to my recollection as I was reading Psalm 122, and I promise I'll explain all this after, at some point, maybe in a year or so. No, but the second memory was uh, really just from a few years ago. We, uh, we used to go to Bonaire, it was a uh, youth correctional facility, basically a jail for children. And Pastor Tim has mentioned a couple times, I may have mentioned it a couple times, but basically it was a place where you would have children, boys and girls. I think the age range was 14 to 21 for males. Or no, 14 to 20 for males and 14 to 21 for females. And some of those people, after they did their time there, would go on to serve the remainder of their time in state prisons once they reached the right age, um, depending upon their crime. And the crimes there were everything from, you know, youth that have just multiple offenses and it just wasn't, they couldn't stay out of trouble. And so it was better that they're there, uh, but all the way up to and through murderers. And I remember you know, a couple of times speaking to some of these, these kids that had murdered um, other people. And, but while you're there, there's, there's a protocol. We can't ask why those people were there. They can tell us. Sometimes they do. 
but we can't ask. And it was one of these times where I was speaking to this young man, a couple of guys, actually, and we were off. Sometimes we would, we would speak in the main kind of area where the, the cells are around it and kind of the, the common area. Depending upon their crime and kind of where they were, sometimes those, the places, they had little offshoots rooms where there was like a little library, a little this, a little that, and this was one of those things. So the guard who kind of ran that cell there's always two guards. One guard was in the main area. The other guard was kind of sitting facing us, but also facing the main area. And that way he can keep an eye on us there and keep an ear on what we're talking about. I was sharing the love of Christ. And oftentimes when you're there, there you know, if there's medication that they need to take, they have to get up and they have to leave. One of the guys we were talking to had to leave. I think it was for medication. The other guy would kind of remain there sitting. And after that guy left, this young man kind of dropped his head. And you could tell that there was something on his mind. So I asked him, what's going on? What's on your mind? And so he started to talk about why he was there how he had really been on the streets by himself since age seven. He was 15. He had been in and out of the system, but basically on his own since he was age seven. But his crimes didn't seem to add up. Why was this kid here in this room with these people? And he started to talk about how he had this court date coming up, and the court date that he had coming up had nothing to do with why he was there then. It was something that had taken place prior, and it just took time to go through the system. So that court date was coming up soon, and he was concerned because out of that court date, there's a possibility that he was going to have to leave there when he turned 18 to go to a state prison. And it just depended upon how that trial went. And you could tell that he was afraid. But I misinterpreted that fear because he wasn't afraid of going to a state prison. Because as we were talking, I was trying to help him talk through some resources that were available to him, different things plans that he had, family that he could go to, if any, and there, there wasn't a lot of options there. And he said, I, he's like, you, you don't understand what I'm saying. And I'll be honest with you, I didn't. By then, the guard was fully engaged in this conversation. And the guard kind of turned. And he said, something that you need to understand he said, sometimes it's safer for these kids to be here than it is to be on the streets. I was blown away. That's why he was afraid. He was afraid to leave the safety of jail. Think about that. And I tell you, brothers and sisters, we have failed as a society if a 15-year-old young man feels safer in jail than he does at home. I was blown away. So we prayed. It's hard to... What do you say after that? Most of us can't relate to that. I can't, I can't relate to that. I couldn't relate. But so we prayed. But when you think about these things, and why one of the reasons, as I was reading through Psalm 122, when I read Psalm 122, I was filled with just this tremendous amount of joy and hope. But it's going to make sense why the Lord had me remember these things 
And you read these verses, and you're just filled. So we're going we're gonna to read them first. Spurgeon, do I have his quote up there? Yes. I should have marked it Spurgeon, but I did not. That's my failure. But David, he said, wrote it for the people, speaking of Psalm 122, to sing at the time of their goings up to the holy feast at Jerusalem. It comes third in the series and appears to be the suitable to be sung when the people had entered the gates and their feet stood in the city. So let's pray. We'll read the verses together and then we'll kind of dig in. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this opportunity you've given us to hear your word. Lord, to help us kind of think through our life and our experiences. And Lord, just the joy that we have in you. So I pray, Lord, that you would just open our eyes and our ears to these things, to your words, to these verses, that you would change us, that we would draw closer to you, draw closer together even. And Lord, just that your will would be done in us and through us. Help us in the areas, Lord, where we lack. Strength us. Humble us. And Lord, I pray that you would give me the right discernment to be able to discern your word. I pray, Lord, that you would have it fall upon our hearts, ready to receive it. Go before us in all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. So Psalm 122. Obviously, David wrote this. He said, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built as a city that is compact together, where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to the testimony of Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord, for thrones are set before the judgment, for judgment the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. Peace be within your walls, prosperity within your palaces. For the sake of my brethren and companions, I will now say peace be within you. Because of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. So that first verse, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. I absolutely love how this psalm starts. The church, generally speaking, as has been mentioned before, is nothing more than a collection of people. Those individuals, some of those individuals are family members. I can't do this because it doesn't sound. And some of those individuals make families. And it's the collection of all these people together that make up our church. So when David said, I was glad, he's obviously speaking of his own reaction to the thing that he was looking forward to doing. But he also tells us that his gladness was fulfilled when they said. He was excited as he waited for this joyful anticipation. And finally, they say, let us go into the house of the Lord. Now, we know by reading 1 Chronicles 22 how David, he couldn't build the temple or commonly called the house of God or the house of the Lord. And he couldn't do so because David was a man of war. And he was told by God that he had too much blood on his hands to build such a place. But David being a resourceful man, began at that time to gather the resources needed for the temple that his son Solomon would eventually build. And so David here is writing this psalm, this worship song to sing on this pilgrimage from wherever they were coming from to to this place as they came into the temple in Jerusalem, the house of the Lord. This time was a time of celebration, a time to rejoice. It was a time to gather with the brothers and sisters, to fellowship and worship the Lord. A time to celebrate and participate in one of the many feasts 
that honor God and pray and worship our Heavenly Father? Does this time together in this place remind you of anything that we have here today? Verse 2 says, Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. So again, many had traveled many miles, and some of them many days. But they're finally standing, waiting for the gates to open. And they describe Jerusalem like a long-lost friend. Maybe not lost, but one that they've missed for some time. O Jerusalem, our feet have been standing within your gates. Remember, this was a big deal. People look forward to these festivals, these celebrations throughout the year. And they had this great anticipation for these things that they would look forward to throughout the year. And that anticipation and that excitement grew as the time got closer and closer. And they finally hear, let us go in, open the gates. This time of celebration and praise has finally arrived. And it's just really this wonderful picture that we see kind of before us. These first two verses really show this beautiful heart for, the, for God, for the Lord. Remember we spoke briefly on Psalm 120 and 121. These people went through a lot in their life. They had many hardships, worries, and concerns. And this journey wasn't as simple as getting into the car like it is now for us. Turning on the radio, the AC on a hot day. Stopping here and there for fuel and for snacks. The journey was hard sometimes, perilous at times. Enemies, hazards. Had the heat, the cold, depending upon the year. You were tired, thirsty, hungry, sore, fearful. The list can be longer or shorter, depending on many factors, but it wasn't as easy as it is today. And I was looking into some of the history on wagon trails here in the United States. Now, obviously, we're not driving 3,000 miles for these festivals, most people. But it, these wagon trains, many years ago, would take, you know, they could do 8 or 20 miles per day, depending on the terrain, sometimes much less than that. But it could take six months or longer to go from one coast to the other. So a very long duration. So again, most people are not traveling 3,000 miles, but they are traveling 30 or 60 or 100 miles. That was very common. So walking that or traveling by animal, it's very difficult, despite the, dis the distance that you traveled. And everyone faced the same bandits and the same peril. But then you finally get there. And how do we feel when we travel? We're sitting in the car, we get to a rest stop, we're stretching, and our backs are tired, we're hungry, we're cranky. But we didn't just walk the last hundred miles, we drove in a comfortable car. Different people back then. But they have such a heart for the Lord. It shows their love for God because that journey is so worth all the stuff that they went through. So David finally reaches this destination. It's a time to rejoice. So now that we're here, what happens? What happens next? We don't just head back home. It's not like a check-the-box exercise. We're like, hey, we made it. Let's go ahead and go turn around and go home. You know, sometimes we tend to make excuses in our own life. You know, I'm double booked, so I can't make it. I have this going on, busy. I... These people loved the Lord so much that there was no excuses, just the determination to get, to be, able to be at a place where they could worship. But verse 3 through 5 tells us this, once they're there, Jerusalem is built, as a city that is compact together where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to the testimony of Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. For thrones are set there for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. So you see here we kind of had this declaration. Jerusalem is built. 
Remember that we mentioned David couldn't build the temple because he had too much blood on his hands, but this Jerusalem is built, can be declared, because in 1004 BC, Jerusalem was conquered. This city from the Jebusites, who held it as a Canaanite stronghold for a long time. 2 Samuel 5, 6-10 tells of this for a point of reference. David says that it is a city that is compact together, a reference to the point that while it's not a massive city, it's also not a poorly planned city. It's not stood up with temporary structures. Buildings aren't built haphazardly here and there without careful thought and consideration. The buildings are built to last, made of stone, strong foundations. They have clean water, solid infrastructure, stable commerce, so many things. Jerusalem is a strong city with even a strategic positioning, as David says in verse 4, where the tribes go up. Jerusalem is set on a hill, on a mountain. And that's a fact that carries much significance. So again, verse 4, where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to the testimony of Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. See, Jerusalem is a city for all the tribes, not belonging to one specific tribe. All the 12 tribes of Israel would participate in these festivals and feasts. And we know that the Israelites were God's chosen people. That was a covenant that was made many years before. But remember, Jesus came to the Jew first, we're told, but also the Greek or the Gentile. And now the Jewish people are compact together, brought together, not by color or nationality, but by God. And Christians, similarly, are knitted in the body, not by political affiliation or a zip code, but by the grace of God. The tribes go up. First of all, when you think about Jerusalem, just about anywhere you are in Israel, if you go to Jerusalem, you have to go up. So this verse talks about the physical location of the city where the temple was built. But going up also speaks to a spiritual meaning, that we ascend. We go up when we seek God, when we meet with God. Moses went up on the mountain to see God and spend time with God. When Jesus calls his church home, we will ascend. We will go up and meet him in the clouds. In praising and worship like we did before, when we are praising our hands in worship, we raise our hands to God. There's many examples of this. And then it says, and to the testimony of Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. The testimony of Israel is capitalized. Why? Because it's a reference to something we read about in Exodus. This describes the Ark of the Covenant. Remember in Exodus in chapter 25, verse 10, we read how when God spoke to Moses, one of the things God said was this order to make the Ark of the Covenant or the Ark of the Testimony. The material, size, everything. The God is the God of order. And this had to be made to the precise specifications. And in verse 22 of that same chapter we read, And there I will meet with you, and I will speak with you from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim, which are on the ark of the testimony, about everything which I will give you in commandment to the children of Israel. There's other places where we see this reference, this Ark of the Testimony. But the testimony of Israel was the center of the tabernacle and in the temple. This was the place in the Holy of Holies behind the veil, where only the high priest once a year would go to commune with God, to pray for all of Israel. The holiest day of the Jewish year, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Leviticus 16 for reference. But think about this in context for representing the throne of God. Because this represents God's presence in Israel. And so for this, the people gave thanks to the name of the Lord. 
And then also think about when regarding the temple and its purpose. And this parallels to the work of the church, but also the individual follower of Christ. Outside the temple, the temple that Solomon built, we read in 1 Kings 7.21, and he set up the pillars in the porch of the temple. And he set upon the right pillar and called the name thereof Jeshin. And he set up the left pillar called the name thereof Boaz. Nowadays, you see those symbols used in Freemasonry, some of the religious organizations, but these two pillars stood outside the temple with the names printed on one on the left and one on the right, Jeshin and Boaz. There is a meaning for this as well. The name Jeshin means to establish. Boaz means strength or to strengthen. We see some of this in reference 1 Peter 5.10. This thing that God does for us. But may the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, there's that suffering again, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. So again, establish and strengthen is there. Establish is defined is to set up an organization, a system, or a set of rules. But you do so on a firm or a permanent foundation, a permanent basis. It's also to achieve a permanent acceptance or recognition for something. The Hebrew word for establish is to pill, and it means to set up, accomplish, to do, or make firm. So biblically speaking, it means to set and fix firmly or unalterably to settle permanently. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant. Genesis 17, 7, 2. I will establish my people in the land and make them prosper. Hosea 2, 23. Some versions of Hosea also says, so her unto me. But this idea that it's something that's immovable and permanent. Strengthen, or miod in Hebrew, or dunamis in the Greek is defined as the quality or the state of being physically strong or having the capacity to withstand great force or pressure. This word can be found in the Bible over 300 times. Philippians 4, for example, Isaiah 41, Ephesians 6 talks about how God establishes us through his strength. And so again, as the people traveled to the temple, as they were there, they were to be established and strengthened while they were at the temple. And as our bodies are to be the temple of the living God, we are to be established and strengthened by Christ. Verse 5 says, For the thrones are set before judgment, the thrones of the house of David, the house of David commonly referred to as David as king and his lineage as it ruled over Israel. Jerusalem being the center for that government of Israel and where the main courts of judgment were established. So we see here the thrones of David's house. David was established as king. Judgment was established here. Again, we see this word established. So in the larger, more permanent and perfect sense, only God will fully judge, and only God reigns forever. Looking at verse 6 and 7, pray for the peace of Israel, or sorry, of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. Peace be within your walls, prosperity within your palaces. For the sake of my brethren and companions, I will now say peace be within you. Because of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. But is this not prayer, a prayer that we continue praying today? Peace for Jerusalem, peace for Israel, all the time we pray that. The name Jerusalem, you didn't know, it means foundation of peace. And thinking about that with God and his love for his people, his sacrifice for all, peace sounds very fitting. One of Jesus' names is actually Prince of Peace. 
Interestingly, if Jerusalem is about peace, has there not been conflict in Jerusalem for centuries? But we know that that conflict will not end until Jesus comes back and establishes his throne, or the throne of David as described in Isaiah 9-7. He says, of the increase of his government in peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even before ever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. But as we pray, we pray for peace. We pray for salvation for God's people and really all people. We pray for their prosperity. But prosperity doesn't mean what a lot of churches want us to believe it means. It's not about financial gain. It's not about money. So many churches twist this in an attempt to deceive and heap up for themselves power and money, and influence. But this prosperity is spiritual growth that we're talking about. It's spiritual enrichment that only comes from walking in and by the grace of God. This prosperity speaks to spiritual maturity, something we only gain by putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and put ourselves in a position of obedience to his will. Remember, it's a dangerous, prideful, self-serving, truly sinful manner if we emphasize in our, these things for our personal gain and growth. We need to be kingdom-minded and be cautious of anybody who tells you different. Spurgeon said of this in a church of the main ingredients of success is eternal peace. Strife, suspicion, party spirit, Division. These are deadly things. Those who break the peace of the church deserve to suffer, and those who sustain it win a great blessing. Remember, we can never make peace by compromising the truth or by screaming at the top of our lungs that something that somebody is doing is false or wrong. We see that way too often with signs on boards and hateful speech. It's not well received. But we also don't make peace by staying silent. If we do this, we have given our unverbal acceptance or approval for that sin to continue. We don't make peace by flying flags and accepting terminology just because someone may be offended. It seems counterintuitive to be uncompromising of the truth. You hear things like, if you really love me, you would be at least accepting of my choices. Well, Proverbs 27, 6 tells us, faithful are the words of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Judas Iscariot betrayed Jesus with a kiss. So no, the love that we show the people around us means that we will absolutely tell you the truth, but it's not to offend you. Our love for people is too great to allow them to continue walking in their sin. We know where it ends. We want to be able to share the truth with people so they don't end up there. Hell. Now, I call the difference of the term prosperity not to condemn these churches, but to warn, to caution. We should be praying for these churches praying for these people, sharing with them the truth. But we do that in love, in compassion, in humility. Leonard Ravenhill said, men give advice, God gives guidance. There's a big difference there. So we can point to the truth, but God eliminates that, illuminates that truth and guides it by his word. We can simply share that hey, these things that you're doing are wrong. If they decide to continue doing them, that's on them. But the enemy loves the discord and the bigotry that has been sown into our society. We talk about it all the time. So let's pray for our church leaders, our ministry leaders, 
Church, pray for the body. Take these flags down. Stop flying flags outside of a church. Again, not condemning. Warning. But we have to pray for repentance and reconciliation, for forgiveness. And as Solomon prayed, we have to pray for wisdom so that we can accurately discern the Word of God and share these things with all those that the Lord puts around us. Let's also pray for all those on the front lines of the fight, our persecuted brothers and sisters. Again, I don't know if that family was Christian, but we've heard, how many times have we heard during the Syrian war of Christian families being in that exact position? They have unwavering faith. They seem to be indestructible because they are so strong in the Lord. So the psalm closes with, I will seek your good. And our order today is no different from the pilgrims in Israel. Their marching orders were to seek the good for Jerusalem or the good of Jerusalem for the sake of God's house. And ours is the same. We seek the good of all those around us for the sake of God's house. That's why we preach Christ and Him crucified. We do this to share the only way to salvation. The only way to truly know the one and living God. See, we come to church. We come to this temple, if you want to call it that to be established and strengthened so that we are equipped for the work that lays before us. So that work may be the work of the gospel, the work in our homes as fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters, the ministry areas that we're part of. All these different things that we're called to do were to be established and strengthened. And we do that By reading the Word, studying the Word, coming here, fellowship. And we do all this for the sake of His kingdom and for God's glory. Amen? So as we close, you might be thinking, what made you think of that family in the Middle East or that young man in Bonaire? What I thought about when I was reading that was how incredibly thankful I am for God. Now, it's not that I'm not thankful because I'm not in a position like this family was, this poverty that they were in, or I'm not in a position where prison is safer than my home. Now, let's be honest, of course I'm thankful that that's not the case. But I'm thankful because as I was reading those verses, Wherever we are in that spectrum, we can be thankful and glad when they say, let us go into the house of the Lord. Because we can go into the house of the Lord and worship our God. And if we know Christ and follow Christ, he's, God is never too far away. He's never in a place where he can't hear us or stand beside us or fill us and comfort us. So I'm thankful that we get to come here, to church, to this building, so that we can gather as brothers and sisters to lock arms and praise and worship his name. We get to pray to our Heavenly Father who hears our cries. We get to hear his word and be filled by the Holy Spirit. I'm thankful because of Christ we get to tabernacle with him. I'm thankful that we don't have to go on a journey to a temple, to a place of worship that takes days and days. I'm thankful that even when we find ourselves in a position of what seems impossibility, we are still in communion with our Lord and Savior. I'm also thankful that we get to rejoice over God's bountiful provisions in our lives. 
I'm thankful that we can gather here openly, with freely, without fear. I'm thankful that we get to pray for our brothers and sisters who suffer greatly for Christ. And I'm even thankful for those opportunities that God gives us where we get to suffer for him. How about you? See, this psalm is more than just a song that we get to sing on a journey. It's a reminder that God changed our heart. We have a new heart. We are a new creation. But he continues to mold us and lead us and guide us. He shapes us in our lives where his desires become our desires. And by his grace, through obedience, his will is done. I'm thankful that he could choose anybody, but he chose us, that we get to live a life, this sinful people that we are, but by his grace he fills us. And he does these things, he uses us for his glory. Amen? We're going to pray as we pray. I'm going to ask Gary to come up and just, we don't normally close with a worship song, but um, let's close with a quick worship song tonight. Let's pray over just this word and as Gary comes up. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that we get to be here tonight. Lord, your word is just so powerful. It cuts us, Lord, to the core. We pray, Lord, that this evening was pleasing to you, Lord, that we would, each of us, would leave this place just more in love with you. Lord, we pray that these areas in our lives, Lord, that we have neglected that person who is on the street corner, who has so little. We pray, Lord, that you would forgive us that we didn't stop to share your good news with them. That our busy lives were too much. We pray, Lord, that you would forgive us for thinking that people in prisons don't deserve you or deserve our time to come and share you with them. And Lord, we just pray that you would give us those opportunities. Lord, if that's a ministry that you would have for us here, we pray, Lord, you would open those doors, that we would be bold enough and courageous enough to walk through those doors, Lord, and that your will would be done. And so, Lord, as we just finish this evening, thank you that we can come and worship you once again. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.